Good morning once again. Hey, excited to have everybody in one place in one service. Can we give a shout to the Lord this morning? Yeah. Uh, special shout out, speaking of groups, special shout out today. Uh, we have quite a strong contingent from the Coast Guard Academy at Khan College. Can we hear from you guys over here and welcome them? Can we welcome our CGA guys and Khan, Khan gals and girls? We're, um, love the relationship that we have with the Academy and uh, the local colleges as well. I want to recognize another group of people. If you are 10 years old and younger, 10 years old and younger, can I hear from the kids this morning? Moms and dads, you might have to prime them a little bit. 10 years and under. That was definitely not 10 years and under. <laughs> well, it is exciting. Super exciting to be here. You know, isn't the Lord kind in the weather that he's given us this morning? And uh, a couple of things as we get started. Um, one, we have about twice the amount of food we had last year. So if you were concerned about that, uh, thank you to our wonderful team led by Jason Wallace uh, in making that happen. To all of you who brought food. Um, so yes, you can clap for that. We also have with us today our friends from Woodfellas Pizza. And we have Don Foster and his team doing burgers and dogs down there later when the picnic starts. Can we welcome them and say thank you as well? Amen. So, you know, Jason was talking about kind of wrapping up groups, uh, the group's promotion, that groups are starting. And I can tell you there's been a palpable excitement and a buzz in the GBC community about the start of groups. It's been really, really encouraging and exciting. And I'll tell you, if you're new to the chapel, in a big church, you have to be a part of a group in order to connect. And we're really excited about those of you that have registered. We hope that you find a place uh, where, you can, where you can fit in. Over the summer, I heard multiple times from people who just kind of said one-on-one as, as we were touching base on Sunday or during the week, man, I really miss my group. I miss the community that I've had over the year. Or our group got together kind of off the program year. We did something fun together because we wanted to be together. We missed each other's fellowship. That's what it takes in a larger community to really be known and to be part of something smaller. So just to really drive that home, if you're not part of a group here at GBC, I want to encourage you to find a place to fit that you can truly be known. In fact, that's sort of been the theme of our summer, hasn't it? If, if you're new with us, we've been working our way through the Psalms, doing this ever so brief kind of high-level survey of the Psalter, looking at 10 or 11 Psalms. And, and our tagline has been, words that know me. That is that the, the book of Psalms gives us words that are from a God who knows us. And if you know yourself, you know that the, the amazing thing is that God knows us, and yet he loves us anyway. And he forgives us anyway. And so the Psalms provide uh, these words that, that, that put voice to the things that I feel, the things that I struggle with, the things that I wrestle with, the things that I'm overjoyed about. And so we've looked at Psalms this year, Psalms of confession, Psalms of wrestling with some of the injustices of life, Psalms of delight, Psalms of overjoyed worship, and so on and so forth. And this morning, we're going to bring that to a conclusion and see how the psalmist does so. What's fascinating about it is there's, it's sort of akin but different to what the writer of Ecclesiastes, probably Solomon, does in the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, the book of Ecclesiastes is sort of a systematic yet wandering philosophical search for the meaning of life, if you read it. By the way, if you're a skeptic or a cynic here this morning, uh, the book of Ecclesiastes and the book of Job 
pretty much cover most of the questions that you've had. There are about six to ten questions that, as people approach the idea of who God is, that are universal in our wondering as human beings. And so the book of Ecclesiastes tackles that uh, from a philosophical point of view. And at the end of the book of, the, of Ecclesiastes, the writer says this. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Having heard everything, here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Fear God, that is, reverence Him, honor Him, submit your life to Him, yield yourself underneath Him, as it were, and keep His commandments, obey Him, do the things that He lays out in His Word of what it means to know Him, what it means to know yourself, what it means to be a human being in relationship with God, in relationship with other human beings. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man, says the philosopher who wrote Ecclesiastes. So it's fair to ask the question, as we look at Psalm 150 this morning, where, what is the conclusion of the psalmist? Different purpose in the book of Psalms, right? This book of Psalms is a playbook, a songbook for us to worship and, again, know ourselves and understand who we are as humans, know and be able to relate to our God. And so all those psalms that we've looked at, the lows, the highs, putting words to our groans, where does the psalmist end? He ends with this, hallelujah, praise God. Hallelujah, praise God. That's where he lands. And so we're going to read Psalm 150 this morning. And um, I want to pray before we do. And I'm going to ask us to read it together. We'll put the words on the screen. And we're going to read it out loud together. It's only six short verses. But let's pray first. Our God and Father, we thank you for the beauty of this day. Lord, I thank you for the warmth of the sun and the warmth of this community. Lord, I pray for those who are here this morning, just kind of tagging along with a relative who goes here or, or our, our cadet friends, maybe this is the first time. Lord, would we be a place, would this be a, an event where they feel the warmth and love of Jesus, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit today? God, we give you thanks for your word. Lord, would you speak to us through Psalm 150? pray in Jesus' name. Amen. My friends, can we stand for the reading of God's word? And we're just going to read this slowly together aloud. Again, it's six verses. Psalm 150, verse 1 begins together. Hallelujah. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty expanse. Praise him for his powerful acts. Praise him for his abundant greatness. Praise him with trumpet blast. Praise him with harp and lyre. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and flute. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Praise him with clashing cymbals. Let everything that breathes praise the Lord. Hallelujah. You can go ahead and have a seat. Thank you so much. We're going to talk about the specifics of this psalm, but I think it's interesting that phrase of resounding and clashing cymbals was evident up here this morning, wasn't it? And we're going to do that again uh, as we end our service in just a little bit. But the psalmist looks at four things. He, he instructs us to come to the conclusion of the, of the Psalter with these four things. Where God is to be praised, why God is to be praised, how God is to be praised, and who is to praise God. We're just going to look at them in turn this morning. So first, where God is to be praised. 
he's to be praised in two places, and there's two different ideas at, at work here, most likely. One is, is sort of the temporal, the earthly, and the heavenly, right? He says, praise him in his sanctuary. And for the Old Testament believers, for the Jews, the nation of Israel, that would have meant praise him in Jerusalem, at the temple, at the Holy of Holies. Praise him at the place where God dwells. For us, the corollary would be in church. Right? Praise him when we gather from the world and from our week and all that comes along with that, good weeks and bad weeks. And when we gather week by week, praise him in his sanctuary, in the place where we gather together uniquely as his people. But then it also says praise him in his mighty expanse. It's the idea that we praise him not just when we gather and in, in, in this kind of a space, but we praise him when we're outside of this space. Right? We praise him outside of church. We praise him with our lives. The other thing that's likely at work is that the second clause builds on the first. That is, praise him in his sanctuary. And then the psalmist is saying, which is also his mighty expanse, the, the mighty expanse. In other words, the whole universe is God's sanctuary. And so everything praises him. All places, in all places, I am to praise him. The response after, after everything we've read and learned and has spoken for us in the psalms is to praise him. And in fact, we know that Psalm 19, verse 1, tells us that the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies pour forth his handiwork. There is no place where their message has not heard. Their, their message and their words have gone out to the entire world. The creation itself preaches of the glory of God. And so should our lives in church and outside of church. I was reminded of a story I, I heard years ago in a sermon. It was a, a preacher, probably about middle age, who was talking about his conversion. And he was saved uh, in his kind of late college, early 20s, and was just a worldly, kind of normal worldly person, if you will. He was, he was into the party scene and, and drinking and using drugs and sleeping around and just doing worldly things and trying to find meaning in that. But there was this pervasive emptiness that was growing in him. And he began to search all kinds of uh, Eastern philosophies and, and different religions and so on and so forth. And he said one night he was in the country, I think it was in Pennsylvania somewhere, at this huge party, this huge bash, and he'd been drinking, and he was high, and, and at the big party house, and he just felt compelled to leave in the middle of the night, leave that house, just start walking. So he said he left, he walked out of the house, and nobody even noticed this big party going on, and he's high at the time. And he started walking, and he walked for quite a ways until he could no longer hear the house. And he came to this place where he sat in a hay field on a stone wall. And he said, in that moment, my eyes were lifted to the heavens. I looked up, and I saw the expanse of God's creation. Like we see here this morning, the beauty and the expanse, as the psalmist calls it, the mighty expanse of God's creation. But it was at night. And he said, you know, being in the country, the stars looked like 3D pinpoints sticking out of the sky. And he said, in that moment, the God of the universe, through the stars, preached to me. And God said, I am here. I exist. And I made all of this. And I know you. And I know what you're going through. And he talks about he left that party and life kind of went on. And it was months later that he met someone who articulated to him the gospel message of Jesus' love for him, of his forgiveness through the cross, and he instantly knew, and he gave his life to Jesus, later became a pastor, and so on and so forth. The sad part in that story in the middle was that he said he met several Christians 
in between that event in the country and when he actually gave his life to Jesus, who either clearly chickened out of talking about their faith as he was asking these hard questions or just didn't know how to communicate the wonder of the gospel. I remember hearing that message probably in my 20s and just being cut to the core. Where is it that we are to praise God? Yes, when we gather together, but also when we're not here. Because as we're going to look at in a little bit, the creation itself preaches the glory of God. But God has given us, God's plan A for communicating the message of Jesus' love to the world is the church. It's me and you. That's where we should praise him. But why is God to be praised? The psalmist says, verse 2, praise him for his powerful acts. Praise him for his abundant greatness. And note the descriptors there. It's not just his acts and his greatness. It's his powerful, majestic, supreme acts. It's his abundant greatness, overflowing greatness, beyond anything that we can comprehend. And in the Old Testament, you'll often see this pairing, sometimes reversed as well, that, that God's people are called to praise him for his, sometimes they're called righteous acts and his righteous character, his powerful acts here in this psalm and, and his abundant greatness. Now, the, the redemptive mighty act in the Old Testament that is repeated and reminded over and over and over again is God's deliverance of Israel through the Red Sea from Egypt, which is a picture, by the way, of our deliverance from sin by the blood of Jesus. But nonetheless, for the Old Testament people of God, that was the mighty act, but there were many. And they were to praise him for his mighty acts, but they were also to praise him not just for the extrinsic things, the things that he has done for them, but intrinsically for who he is, his very character, his abundant greatness. But we live on the other side of not just the New Testament, but the other side of the cross. Beyond the Old Testament, we're in the church age, if you will. And the redemptive act of God, not just in the Old Testament time, but in all of human history, is the cross of Jesus Christ. It is the gospel. I want to read to you the words of Paul in Colossians speaking about Christ's death for you and for me. And Paul the Apostle says this. He says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Many commentators have noted that, that Jesus didn't come to uh, heal us from sickness, per se, when it comes to sin, or to, to make us better or to improve us. He came to raise us up from being dead. Passage continues. Paul says, He made you alive with him and forgave our trespasses. He, Jesus, erased the certificate of death with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us. And he, Jesus, took it and nailed it to the cross. Do you know that Jesus Christ has nailed your certificate of death to the cross? may be news to you that you're spiritually dead. The Bible's teaching that if, is that if you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you're spiritually dead. There is no working or earning or getting to the other side or balancing the scales that we can do. We are spiritually dead. But through the cross of Jesus Christ, we see the perfect person and work of God. Jesus, Paul tells us, is the, is the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. 
The writer of Hebrews tells us he's the exact representation of God's glory. He is the majestic, eternal Son of God, the Supreme One, capital S. And we are to praise him for who he is intrinsically, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. But he is also the one who carried out the supreme, the word in the, in the psalm is powerful, act of redemption on our behalf. Going to the cross. And in that cross, in that moment, the perfect justice and wrath of God was poured out on that sinless Savior for you and for me. And brothers and sisters, we have a duty to respond to that. We're obligated to respond to that message. Once you hear the message of the gospel, you have to respond. You have to either say, I don't buy it, or I'm going to try my own way, or there's another belief system, or whatever, or receive what he's done by faith on your behalf and begin to walk with him in community. If you can't tell this morning, even from what we've sung, it's what, it's, it's what we're about here. And I remember in my own life, I grew up in the church. I grew up in this church. I remember my sophomore year of high school being on a missions trip. I've told this story before, uh, but it was in the pouring rain on a miserable day that I was convicted, that I was not living in it with a sense of wonder of what God had done for me in Christ. And I submitted my life to Jesus in a way that was new and profound and changed the course of my life. I wonder if you've had that moment. Have you had that moment, believer, where you've yielded at a new level, where you've let go of things that you've held on to, where you've been living like a walking dead person. You're alive in Christ, but you're living as if you're still dead. Have you had that moment, oh unbeliever or skeptic or my friends who are approached the word of God with suspicion, where you've yielded even your intellect to say, God, you made my mind. I know that you'll give me the answers. I submit to what your word says about who you are and who I am. Why are we to praise him? Because ultimately of Jesus Christ's person and work. He is what brings us together. Thirdly, how are we to praise him? It's interesting that this is the lion's share of the psalm. It's the, the most significant amount of words. It says, praise him with the trumpet blast. Praise him, praise him with harp. Praise him with the tambourine and dance. Praise him with stringed instruments and flute, resounding cymbals, clashing cymbals. In other words, we're to praise him with enthusiasm, with noise, and, might I add, great skill. We're to praise him with everything that we are, and yes, there's even dancing involved. Now, when I was growing up in this church, and some of you are old enough to remember and still advocate for this, uh, there was no dancing in church, right? And, or any event associated with the church. In fact, GBC helped charter Camp Berea, and Camp Berea had a no-dancing policy. And, and let's be honest, for a lot of good reason, right? Because if we start to emulate the world's kind of dancing, we're going to have some issues. But let me tell you a quick story um, about that. Uh, in the 1990s, Andy was just great at these really epic, goofy ideas that would engage teenagers. And so right in the middle of the two weeks of camp, Andy had wanted to do a square dance, but a, a goofy square dance with costumes and, and all kinds of crazy stuff. 
And so he actually had to approach the board of directors of Camperia, of which I was a very young member at the time, and, and ask the question, hey, I want to do, it's a square dance for goodness sakes. Can we do a square dance at team camp, you know, at camp? It's not in church. And the board of directors uh, uh, overwhelmingly said no. So I, I don't, I should have called Andy and asked him this, this week, but I don't know if he fed this idea back to the Berea board of directors or if he just did it. But we had the square dance, believe it or not. And it wasn't pure defiance because what Andy did was one of the most genius moments of his youth ministry era. Um, what he did was we had this event and it was called Rhythmic Geometric Interfacing. Rhythmic geometric interfacing, and um, it was a great, it was a great time. It was a huge success. Uh, within a couple of years of that, Andy was allowed to do a square dance, so uh, it lives on in infamy. Uh, but you know, the scripture tells us, and you know, David earlier in in the Old Testament is is mocked for the way that he just casts aside restraint and dances before the Lord. Now, some of us don't have that temperament, right? We're not all wired the same. But the point is that we praise God out of the exuberance of our hearts. And so you think about what are the things in my life that I respond to exuberantly, right? It might be a, a sports event. It might be the performance of uh, a concert or something. It might be the birth of a child or a wedding or a significant moment in your relationship. Whatever it is, what is the thing? And, and how do you respond to those moments? It's with, it's, it comes from your guts, right? It's all of you. It's the idea that you're all in. Some have said that the list and the specificity of all these instruments kind of harkens back to the orchestra that blasted and brought down the walls of Jericho. It was an all-in submission because we praise him everywhere. We praise him for his person and work, specifically for us of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we praise him with everything we've got. You know, I'll, I'll confess in my own life, at times I think the praise of my life is much more like quiet elevator music than a blasting orchestra with clashing cymbals. And so part of what we're going to do this morning as we move toward our conclusion is we're going to just end our summer and our sermon and into our picnic with some praise. And we're going to worship him. You'll note in the lyrics that Johnny uh, in the band have chosen, you'll see both Christ's person, who he is intrinsically, and you'll see his work, what he's done for us on the cross as we end our service in prayer in just a moment. But last verse, who is to praise him? Who is to praise God? The psalmist writes, let everything that breathes praise the Lord. Let everything that breathes praise the Lord. There's probably two ideas at work here, maybe more. Uh, the first is what it says, right? It's the literal rendering, everything that breathes. But the hyperbole of that is all of creation, right? All of creation responds in praise to God. We know in Romans chapter 8, Paul tells us that the entire creation, this planet and the universe, is groaning under the weight of the curse of sin. And so when God, uh, when Jesus returns and puts everything to right, God is going to restore all things to how they ought to be, not just his relationship with humanity and our sin issue and give us eternal life, but the very creation itself is going to be restored to how God intended. Jesus says in Luke chapter 9, kind of tying back to our first point, that if they don't praise him, even the very rocks will cry out. And there's this idea in the scripture that far be it from us, that we would be, uh, that we would be so disobedient to not respond and praise to God that miraculously the rocks would have to praise him and cry out. 
it is a privilege to praise him. And I'll confess to you, and it's likely in your own life too, there are times that I lose the wonder of what God has done in forgiving me for all my sin. There's this idea that I know myself at the depth and the core, and the idea that these are words that know me, and yet God loves me and forgives me anyway, is a profound motivation to say, thank you, Jesus, or hallelujah. Praise him. Praise him. Who is it to praise God? Everyone. There's another idea, and maybe I'm over-spiritualizing this admittedly, but it's this idea that within the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God is made up of those who have yielded their lives to Jesus and trusted him as Savior, and I hope that's you this morning. Within the kingdom of God are all kinds of people. <laughs> all kinds of people. It, the body of Christ brings together people who have nothing, no interests in common. They have no family dynamics uh, in common. They have no politics in common. But we have the blood of Jesus in common. And God brings together a community of people that is unlike any other. And so, let me say it this way. There are people in the body of Christ within the local church or the larger church that you're not going to particularly care for. But we are called to treat each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And by the way, for the young kids, that doesn't mean fighting like brothers and sisters. Right? It means like the biblical idea, all the one another's of the scripture. Loving each other in the name of Jesus. Everyone that has breath. The ending of the Psalter is hallelujah. And we want to take some time to do that this morning. We're going to actually sing to him. I'm going to invite the band to come. I want to leave you with one very short quote in contemplation as the band gets settled. And I want you to take this seriously as we end our summer. Charles Spurgeon said this about this psalm as he came to the conclusion of it. Talking to his congregation, he said, Wilt not thou at this moment pause a while and worship the Lord thy God. It's going to take the band a, a minute or a minute and a half, whatever it is, to, to get themselves settled. I want you to just close your eyes, let them do their thing. And, and I want to compel you with the words of Charles Spurgeon there, GBC, wilt not thou at this moment pause, pause a while, pause for a few moments and worship the Lord thy God.